Mark chapter 16, verses 14 to 20. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Well, last week we finished our series on the Gospel of Mark, but we didn't really. You see, we finished what we understand to be what Mark wrote, uh, but there's an additional ending to the Gospel of Mark, which is a bit of a summary of other accounts of what happened following the resurrection and the sending out of the church on mission. And we really only just quickly brushed over that, that bit last week. And even though the place of verses 9 to 20 are somewhat in dispute as to whether they belong in the cannon. You, you heard that term before, the cannon? That's not a thing that goes boom and hurls a cannonball. The cannon is like the official Bible. Like at some stage, someone had to decide what books went into the Bible and that formed what's known as the canon. And even though these scriptures are a little bit in dispute whether they belong there or not, um, I said last week that I actually still see it as scripture because it's a record of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus and much of the early church saw it as authoritative and most of it is simply a summary of what we read in other places of the New Testament. So today I just want to talk about signs, spiritual signs. And I reckon it's important we do this because sometimes this ending of Mark is what gets used as a basis to form a whole theology of having an expectation of having signs and wonders for every Christian in their everyday Christian life. And basically some people use it to justify having an expectation of having signs on demand, right? So I want a sign, God's going to have to give me that sign. So... Up on the screen up there are some pictures of Queensland road signs. Right, now, I think it would be fair to say that these signs are found on Queensland roads. True? Good. Now, one of those, fav one of those signs up there um, has a white background, and it's my favourite sign, by the way. It has a white background, a red circle, and inside that circle are some black digits forming the number 110. Right? Now, that would have to be my favourite Queensland road sign. Is that anybody else's favourite sign? The, Jenny's favourite sign it is? Nobody else? No? Just Jenny and I. Jenny? There you go. The others just take no notice of signs like that, but we are very law-abiding. Okay. Now, if these are Queensland road signs, and the street that I live in 
is Barley Street in St George, Queensland, right? So Barley Street is a Queensland road. I should expect to see these signs on my road, shouldn't I? Now, I'd especially like to see my favourite sign on, on that road. Ken doesn't want to see it there. <laughs> but, but should I expect to see my favourite sign on that road? After all, it is a Queensland road. I don't expect to see it, do I? In fact, out of all of those Queensland road signs, I think the only two signs that are on my street are two of my least favourite signs, the give way sign and the stop sign. See, there's no start of motorway sign, there's no transit lane sign, there's no wrong way go back sign, there's no bike lane, there's not even a roundabout sign. In fact, there's not a single roundabout sign in the whole of St George. You see, whilst these are signs of Queensland roads, not all roads have every sign. And in fact, there are many roads in Queensland that have no official road signs at all. And I want to use this as a bit of analogy, a bit of an analogy for spiritual signs. When it comes to signs and wonders and gifts of the spirit and workings of the spirit, there are two common errors that we can fall into. And of course, they've got to be opposites, haven't they? Always, we, the two extremes we take, they're always the opposites of each other. So I want you to imagine that you live on an obscure country road somewhere, and that road which you regularly travelled had no Queensland road signs on it at all. And imagine if from all of your years of experience of travelling that road and only that road, you came to the conclusion, well, I've never seen a road sign. They mustn't make them anymore. They mustn't exist. And in fact, your neighbour backs you up on that because he's never been on any other road either. And he says, no, of course they don't have signs anymore. That, that they took, did away with them years ago. In fact, some places you'll go, you will see signs, but watch out for those. They're false signs. They're trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do. So beware of those signs because they don't have signs anymore. But then imagine that your travels take you onto a different road and you go a long way from home and you see a road sign. And you know it's a road sign because you've read about them. In fact, when you're doing your learners, you, you actually had to read a book which had all sorts of pictures of road signs and you've seen them and you know that these signs, oh, that must be what those signs used to look like. But you come to the conclusion, well, they don't make signs anymore. That must be a false sign. It's saying to me, wrong way, go back. Well, it's trying to trick me. And so you just conclude it's a false sign. Now, that's a bit of a silly illustration. But that is exactly how some people view spiritual signs and wonders today. Some people have had no personal experience of spiritual signs and wonders, and so they've come to the conclusion there are no spiritual signs anymore. These things mustn't exist anymore. And in fact, other Christians have told them, no, they don't exist anymore. But watch out for false signs. Anything that looks like a sign these days is from the devil. Right? So that's one extreme, to believe that the age of signs has passed and to conclude that anything that looks like a spiritual sign today is a false sign from Satan. But the other extreme is the exact opposite of that. 
It's where we become so captivated by signs and we become so fixated on signs that we want to see a, see a sign wherever we go. And so I might want to see a 110 kilometre an hour sign on my street and maybe a start of motorway sign and maybe a bike lane sign. In fact, in some places you go, there are so many signs that people demand that you can't even drive down the road on high beam without getting blinded. There's just way too many. What is it, by the way? Why do they have to be so reflective? It's like, it's just, I'd rather see the kangaroo on the side of the road rather than being blinded by the signs that are there. But some folk are like that with spiritual signs. And they expect that they should be able to see whatever sign it is that they want to see and that all signs should follow all Christians. But that misses the whole point of signs. So what do we learn from today's reading? Firstly, just as this additional ending to the Gospel of Mark is a summary of resurrection events, it's also a summary of signs that the early church would witness and did witness. In fact, I think it's only, I think there is only one sign here that isn't mentioned in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there are examples of people casting out demons in the name of Jesus. There's examples of them speaking in languages that they've never learned. Uh, they laid the hands on, on the sick and they were healed. On the island of Malta, Paul was bitten by a snake and all of the islanders expected that he was going to die a horrible death, but it never affected him. In fact, the only sign mentioned here that I can't think of a New Testament example of is the drinking of deadly poison and not getting sick. But that doesn't mean at all that it didn't happen. And in fact, there's been stories of that happening in the church throughout, throughout the ages. But the point is... This is a summary of the signs that would accompany those who believe. It's not a promise that every believer would experience or even get to see every one of these signs. Secondly, signs accompany believers. Right? Signs are not there to convince us to believe. They accompany disciples of Jesus who already believe. Now, a lot of people will, will, will say to me, oh, Michael, just, just, you know, all God's got to do is do a sign and then I'll believe, right? So if you, just, if you can get God to do a sign, then I'll believe him and I'll follow him. No, they won't. In fact, Jesus said an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. But the only sign that was going to be given to unbelievers was, was his own resurrection. And Jesus has already been raised. That sign has already been given. Did they believe when Jesus was raised from the dead? Most didn't. You see, they're generally not signs that lead to belief, but signs that accompany people who already believe. Thirdly, these signs are done in the name of Jesus. The purpose isn't simply so we can live longer or so we can have a nicer life or so we can feel good about having an amazing supernatural experience of God. They're done in the name of Jesus. Uh, 
they're not only done by Jesus, but they're done for Jesus. Jesus said, in my name, they will cast out demons, all right? Evil is overcome in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, people are set free from their captivity to Satan. And that's a sign. He said, when they speak in new tongues, sorry, they will speak in new tongues. I once had a discussion with a Pentecostal chap about the gift of speaking in, in other languages. And, and he actually draw my attention, drew my attention to this particular Bible verse. And, and he said, look, it doesn't say that some will speak in tongues. It says they will believe, speak in tongues. And, um, and so that, that's actually contrary to what we read in other parts of the New Testament. And so he believed that every single Christian will have that particular gift because it says that they will speak in tongues. But I said to him, but it also says they will pick up serpents. It also says they will drink deadly poison. Now, you preaching that everybody should be doing that to experience God in their life as well. And, of course, he, he wasn't. You see, the fact is some people are given the gift of speaking in a language that they've never learned, but we should never expect that everybody will have the same gift. In fact, there's, a, there's only one example in the whole of the New Testament of someone surviving a snake bite. We don't all have that same gift. Why do we expect that that one particular gift of speaking in other languages is a gift that everybody has to have? Um, and in fact, the scriptures say that it's not. These are signs that are done in the name of Jesus. And we don't get to decide how these signs come about. We don't get to decide who has these gifts because this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is at the discretion of God who receives what gifts. It's at the discretion of God what signs he brings. Fourthly, spiritual signs accompany the preaching of the gospel. Verse 20 says, And they went out and they preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. You see, in the New Testament, most examples of these spiritual signs that I can think of all occurred when, when they were taking the gospel and they're preaching the good news to a people who'd never heard it before. They were preaching the gospel and this message that they were preaching was being confirmed by the signs that accompanied it. And yet, in most churches that I've been to, who are seeking signs and who make a big deal out of being, oh, we're a ministry of signs and wonders, it's not at all them taking the gospel out into the world and into the streets, and therefore this is where the signs of God are going to accompany what we're do the, the message that we're preaching. That's not where the signs are occurring. It's usually set up as some kind of in-house spiritual benefit or some in-house spiritual experience that you will receive when you come to our church. Spiritual signs confirm the message of the gospel as it's being preached out into the world. That's what we're being told here. And I actually suspect that one of the reasons 
that so few of us, and dare I say even our church, um, experience authentic spiritual signs and wonders is because we're not preaching the gospel out into the world. We're not preaching everywhere. Because that's when these signs came. When they went out into the world and they preached the gospel into the world, they went everywhere preaching. And the signs came then. Why do we expect signs when we're not doing that? And I also suspect, and I'm actually sad that I say this, but I suspect that a lot of the signs that are proclaimed as signs and wonders in churches today are not authentic at all. For, for some, you know, sometimes we can get so desperate to see a sign or we're so desperate to experience a sign that, that we want to start expecting it every week. And so some people get really quick to proclaim that something is a sign or a miracle of God when it's not at all. I know a bloke who, if he prays for somebody with a cold and, and within three days they're feeling a little bit better, he'll claim it as a miracle of the healing of God. Um, when, well, most colds have run their course in about three days. Someone, I think I've told you this before, but when I was a young fella, someone tried to teach me to speak in tongues and, and they got me saying a few noises with my, with my mouth and, and it, yep, yep, you've got it, you've got it, that, that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, this is a sign. But I knew I wasn't, I knew I was just like a little kid making noises with my tongue. And I know that I don't have that gift. But he was very quick to claim, hey, this is an experience of God. But I knew it wasn't. Some people are very quick and, and excited to, to get people in the congregation falling over. That will be a sign that God's among us because people are falling over. I don't have any intention at all of picking up snakes. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's what a 410 shotgun's for, it's for dealing with snakes. I don't have any intention of drinking deadly poison because when we try to bring these signs about um, that's putting God to the test and uh, when I was researching this there actually are a couple of examples of churches in uh, the southern United States where uh, they took this quite literally and they passed a rattlesnake around the congregation or something and and the and the minister got bit and died um, but they were putting God to, to the test you see we shouldn't be seeking signs. Jesus was really clear. He, he described those who seek signs as evil and adulterous. Our calling is not to seek signs. Our calling is to believe and to preach. But when we do that, when we are believers and when we're preaching the gospel out into the world, sometimes God chooses to use signs to his glory. And some of you may have seen that happen, where God has performed wondrous deeds, performed miracles when the gospel is preached. It's amazing to see. 
I do not believe, like many do, that the age of signs and miracles have passed. I do not believe that. But that doesn't mean that we have the right to expect signs upon our demand. But when in the sovereignty of God, God does his amazing work and he chooses to provide a sign in the name of Jesus to his glory, then let's give God glory for that. Let's be quick to give God glory when authentic signs are done in the name of Jesus. I believe our task is to be discerning. Back in Mark chapter 13, Jesus warned us that false Christs and false prophets will arise and they will perform signs and wonders and their purpose in doing that, to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So does that mean that we should go, nope, there are no signs and wonders? No. He told us what to do. He said, so be on guard. Be on guard. Be discerning. But the problem is that sometimes we become so wary of false signs that we fail to give God glory for authentic signs. Authentic spiritual signs are, are so few and far between that sometimes we don't expect authentic signs anymore. And so we fail to recognise them when they come and we fail to give God glory for what are indeed his authentic work. So what do I want to leave with us today? Spiritual signs accompany the preaching of the gospel. And if that is in the DNA of our church, if that reflects our mission and our practice, if preaching the gospel out into the world is what we do, let's give God glory when the message that we preach is confirmed by accompanying signs. I'm not at all interested in, in trying to have signs that, that we attempt to contrive. I'm not at all interested in, in a show that we've set up that looks spectacular and some people might go, ooh, there's a sign. I'm not at all interested in having a carefully scripted a scripted and planned bit of spontaneity. But the Holy Spirit sometimes unexpectedly does what the Holy Spirit does to the glory of Jesus Christ. And let's give God glory for that. So there you go. Now we've finished the Gospel of Mark. What did we learn in the Gospel of Mark? We're told right at the opening what it was about. It gave us the, the executive summary. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what the whole of the Gospel of Mark has been about, getting us to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That is the message that we have to preach out into the world. So let's give God glory when the message we preach is confirmed by a demonstration of the power of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we want to thank you that for that message of the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Lord, it's so humbling that, that as we've read this gospel and studied this gospel to realize that so much of it is that this Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Son of God, would suffer and die for us. Oh, Lord. That is so, so humbling for us that Jesus humbled himself to bring us into relationship with you. And Lord, all we can do is we can thank you and we can praise you. Lord, we want to thank you today for the gift of faith. You have given us the ability to be able to believe. Lord, sometimes our faith is weak, but Lord, underlying it all is, is this faith that we will never lose belief in you. We will continue to follow you. And Lord, we pray that we would not be ashamed of your gospel. Lord, I pray that, just as I said before, that if, if preaching the gospel out in the world was part of the DNA of our church, then you would likely follow with your signs and wonders. Lord, forgive us for the times when we've just looked for signs to make us feel good about ourselves or to give us some kind of assurance that, hey, we're... We're, um, we're a particularly special people because you're showing us signs. Lord, oh, what a, what a selfish seeking of signs that is. Lord, we pray that you would give us a passion to share your gospel out into the world. And Lord, if it be your will, we would be excited to see your signs to confirm the message that we're preaching. And Lord, we just give ourselves to you now. Help us to be the instruments who take this gospel message into the world knowing that as we do, that you go with us. In Jesus' name, amen.